0: Couldn't have picked a better one myself. It's top of the line. All the options. The only thing it can't do is fly. No, I'm just licking. This one is way out of my price range. Oh, see, now there's your problem. Price range is really just a frame of mind. The facts are that you work hard. You deserve this. And God wants you to be happy. Yeah, appreciate your enthusiasm, but um, God never said that. know that a uh, new car salesman loses 30% of his value the second he leases the lot? Yeah, true facts. Google it. I don't even know what you say about that. Uh, welcome, Journey. My name is Mark. It's really good to be with you. Uh, it's been a little bit since I've seen you, most of you guys. Uh, I was at camp, middle schoolers and high schoolers. So if you remember, I don't know, a month, two months ago, we were having this crazy bake sale out there like... Really expensive cookies. Um, We made it to camp and we made it back. Uh, Before I go any further, I actually wanted to share like three wins with you from camp. Uh, One win was we had some middle schoolers by the end of the week who they raised their hand and they said, yes, like I want to start. follow this Jesus guy. So that was awesome. Um, Another win was in high school. We had a girl wanting to get baptized like at camp. And so one of our leaders got a baptizer. And since we've been back, like we've had two or three students who said, I want to get baptized in front of the whole church. Like I want them to be with us. So like, we got to clap for that. Yeah. Um, And while I'm talking about camp, I got to throw up this picture. Um, This was like my crew and we didn't know this, but when we went to camp, it kind of became this family thing. So... These are like my 10 dudes. And I became a dad, little did I know it, in that very quick week. Um, It was crazy. It was awesome. And then after this middle school week, we had the high school week, and then I come home. And I kind of come home to this guy. Um, So this is Thor. (laughs) This is my wife and I's son. He's a little furrier. And if you've met him or know him, or if you want to, he's a lover, like for sure. But this was Tuesday at staff meeting, and I, I left him, bad dad move. Like I didn't bring a bone or a toy for him. And what you see on the left of the, like, yellow papers, that's today's sermon. Uh, so you, you can thank Thor for making me work extra hard and doing some more research. Um, uh, all seriousness, today's uh, sermon title is called Backwards Cinepa. I practiced that. Uh, Backwards Sinipa, it's it's backwards happiness, literally. So happiness flipped around. Um, And as you'll notice in your notes page, there's actually some fill in the blanks. If you know me, I'm not a big fill in the blanks guy. So if in my excitement this morning, I forget one, like you have full permission to interrupt me because I know there's some people who are like, I have to know what this is. And so front rowers, like that's probably you, like my family and then like some of you guys, okay? So you have that permission from me, probably do it with a hallelujah or an amen or something. Uh, if you were here last week, we wrapped up our series, Derry wrapped up our series about uh, Summer at the Movies, right? And he talked about how we can still and why we can still believe in happy endings. It's a, it's a good transition. We're going to start a new series, God Never Said That, and we're going to talk about happiness today. This new series is all about misconceptions, we're going to look at some verses, we're going to look at some ideas, and we kind of just throw out there, we abuse, um, and how, what does Jesus, what does the Bible really have to say about this? And so up front, today's misconception or lie would be that God never said just be happy, and there's almost this implied, like, you can do whatever you want because what we do doesn't really matter, right? And if you're anything like me, you might, you might have grown up in the church, and if you're new, that's awesome, welcome. Uh, you might have association when you think of a sermon about happiness, Like you might have these taglines. Like some of the taglines that I think of are, God cares more about your holiness than your happiness. Or maybe you've heard sermons about the difference between happiness and joy, right? Like happiness is a secular thing that Christians shouldn't be involved with. And and joy is what we as Christ followers should be pursuing. And it's not based on circumstances. Or, um, and, and you think about these things and what can happen is what I'm afraid of is that we can be scared to say, God does want us to be happy. And I think that that fear is legitimate. And maybe where some of those earlier misconceptions come from is this. Like just like that bumper video, right? We, we're used to seeing and hearing things, people do things, that they kind of play the happy card. They, they do something in the name of happiness and it doesn't really make sense. Like if you ever had someone do something in the name of them being happy, but man, it, it caused some hurt to you or some people around you. Well, what happens when we're genuinely seeking happiness but it hurts our relationship with God? Well, like, isn't that sin, these hurtful, selfish decisions that separate us from each other and from God? And and so what does God say as we pursue happiness, but it causes us to sin? Like, all of those are really good questions. (laughs) Unfortunately, we don't have all that time. Like, I'm not going to take that much time from you guys to deal with those questions or the misconceptions. So here's our goal up front. Our our goal would be to set this foundation of what happiness is. What does the Bible say? What does God say about happiness? So that's our question. What does God say about happiness? And that's what we're gonna do this morning and then this week, I want you guys to try to build off that. Like we would be a church that doesn't just gather on Sunday, right? But that we'd be a church every day of the week together as a community, as a family. And so your part this week will be to ask the question, okay, what does this look like in my life? I'm gonna start by asking this question. And this is a question I either want you to like think through in your head or if you're a writer downer, if you're a journaler, journal this one. And it's this, if God came in and said, I want nothing more in life than for you to be happy for the rest of your life, what would you do? I want you to be happy for the rest of your life. What would you do? I'm gonna start by reading chapter six of Luke. If you're familiar at all a little bit, maybe you've heard this title of the Sermon on the Mound. It's found in Matthew 5. It's like one of Jesus' famous sermons because it's his long, long one, right? This is the beginning of it. We're gonna read Luke's perspective, often called the Sermon on the Plain. So starting in verse six, here we go. He went down, he being Jesus, and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people all over, Judea from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases, Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. All the people, all people, sorry, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how the ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all my friends, my family here gathered. God, we would ask that you would teach us, not just information or knowledge, God, but you would teach us a little bit so that we could actually see who you are. God, as as we jump into the scriptures, we hope to see Jesus. And Jesus, would you lead us towards the Father? God, we love you. And we're so grateful that you love us and that you loved us first. Amen. And so before we kind of jump back into that story, I want to give us a little bit of context around that. And so we're going to look a little bit before all of that and that Jesus like introduces this text. And before this, we see this interaction with Jesus and the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. It's the Sabbath and they're, they're trying to trap him and you're going to see if he's going to do a miracle for this guy who has a crippled hand. And so they ask Jesus, like, are, are you going to heal this guy's hand? If you do, you break the law. So what are you going to do, Jesus? And his response is he asks these Pharisees, like, what is the Sabbath all about? What's the heart of the Sabbath? And he proceeds to heal this man's hand. And he, from this place, he goes up to the mountain and he prays all night, the scriptures say. And in the morning, he comes down. He finds his 12 disciples and he appoints them the 12. And this is where we pick off. He being Jesus went down with them, the 12 disciples, and stood on a level place A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people all over from Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. And I don't know about you, but when I read this story, one of the first things I glean is, oh my gosh, Like, why is there so many people like, right, there's these four regions that are mentioned. There's the 12 disciples and other people that are following him. And they're all gathered around Jesus. And if you're also like me, you maybe, like, have been um, around or you've heard that this Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, is, like, a famous thing. Like, it's a thing around Christianity. But, like, why? Like, what's so exciting about this? Why, why are the Beatitudes this blessed are? Like, why is this so important? And I think for us to engage and to see like what's so revolutionary about this, it's going to take some imagination and some effort on our part. we got to jump back into what was really going on. And so the question I have is, who is Jesus' audience here? Right? So there's the 12 disciples. There's other people that are following. There's a huge, large crowd that's gotten bigger. But then we also see from the region of Tyre and Sidon and Jerusalem and Judea that there's not just Jewish people here. There's Gentile people here. So all of a sudden, there's this growing crowd in numbers, but it's also growing in diversity. There's people here who aren't like each other. And so what is Jesus gonna do with this giant mass of people, his followers, his 12 disciples, and this also large number of people that are all different? And my contention is that Jesus is gonna do what he always does. And he's going to try to show and tell people what God is really like. And so... He looks at his disciples and this this language is used not just for the disciples. Like he's a rabbi teaching. So yes, this language is to the disciples but as a rabbi, he's very well aware of who's all there. So what is Jesus gonna do? This is what he says. Blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. There's a lot in this first part, but here's where I want to start. This word blessed, I actually found myself this week as I was preparing for this, like almost using this word, Blessed. And whenever I want to use it, it's always like, man, this good thing is happening in my life. I'm so blessed. And maybe you use that like that, or maybe you have friends who use that word like that. And I'm not saying that we are bad, but we're probably wrong, or at the very least, we're not using the word like Jesus was. When we chase down this word in its original meaning and its an original language, we find this. It means happy. It means fortunate. So we could read and we could say, happy. Are you who are poor? Fortunate are you who are poor. Fortunate are you who hunger now. And to add another piece to this, again, trying to compare this a little bit to Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, he says, poor in spirit. Does Luke have spirit in here? No. So this word poor quite literally means poor, there's no spiritual secret behind it. In fact, this word poor, it's most common biblical usage in, this, in the scriptures is a poverty reduced to begging. And what about hunger? What about weep? There's, no, there's nothing positive associated with these words. And so what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying that this is a list of moral or spiritual virtues that we should strive towards? I don't think so. Is a poor person happy that they're poor? Does someone brag about their poverty? And if you think this is a trick question, I would ask you to talk to our Ethiopia team. Nels's wife, Grace. Go talk to my friend, Grace. Ask her about what it was like to see her compassion child in the mud huts. But also ask, Grace, how much joy, how much happiness that family had. We'll talk about that joy and happiness in a little bit. And so at this point, we have to kind of ask, okay, what the heck is Jesus saying? I thought he was sharing good news about the kingdom and about who God is, and he is. You see, Jesus isn't communicating, I'm gonna bless someone based off their actions or circumstances. I don't think that, that would be an incorrect way to think about this word. Jesus is always communicating about the kingdom and who God really is. And the biggest way we see this is Jesus himself, his life, right? This incarnation of God coming to be with us. It's a relational, intimate thing. And so scholarship says one of the best ways to look at this phrase is not that they're happy or just fortunate, but they're happy or they're fortunate because God is there. God is with them. And so we could read it. Fortunate are you who are poor, Four, God is on your side. God is with you. Fortunate are you who hunger now because God is with you. God is on your side. I like the way New Testament scholar Scott McKnight says it. He says the Beatitudes or this section of the blesseds are, they're not a list of Jesus's virtues. Rather, they're a list of Jesus's revolutionary announcement. Again, they're not a list of moral virtues, but a revolutionary way of revealing who is on the Lord's side, and who is not? Who is in the kingdom, and who is not? We keep reading. Jesus says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when someone speaks well of you, for that is how, The ancestors treated their false prophets. Like, how backwards is that? Like, here Luke, the writer Luke, is intentionally setting up this comparison, this compare and this contrast. These bad things are associated with positivity, and these good things are associated with negativity. And and I want to do this this imagination. Imagine a poor Galilean man on this side, hearing Jesus' words in that crowd. And on this side, uh, a Galilean man, but wealthy from the same town. And what's going through this guy's head, his heart? I imagine he's saying, could it really be in his own poverty? He's like, could God be on my side? It's never been that way. God's always been on the side of those who are rich, not poor. And he gets a lump in his throat. He's saying, what if? And then this man, his like blood is rising, right? His fists are clenched and he's thinking, who are you to say I'm on the wrong side? It's never been this way before. Who are you to say that God's not on my side? But he has this little voice, this little doubt in his head. And he says, what if I've been wrong about this the whole time? And I think we too have to decide, where are we in this? Which side are we on? Like this this scripture is in my Bible just as it is yours. And and that's hard, right? Right? Because that's pretty intense language to say, God is on one side and not on the other. And which side do I, do you, do we fall on? But I think that's Jesus's point. He wants us to feel that tension. Because it's in that tension that he says, here's the backwardsness of the kingdom. Subtly, he says, here's the backwardsness of where happiness is found. And so in your notes, here's what we know. Happiness is not found In wealth, in circumstances, material things, or popularity. Wealth or happiness is not found in wealth materials, circumstances, or popularity. You guys are like, okay, Mark, I I could I could get around that. I've probably heard that before. Yeah, me too. But as we think about this tension, as we think about which side we would fall on, in Jesus' words. Think about the decisions we make often, daily decisions. Think about where our our time and our effort goes. How much time do we spend trying to control the things we do have and the things we don't have? How much time do we spend trying to get people to like us? Insert stuff about Instagram. Right? We post something on Instagram. How many hearts did it get? How many likes? And then we scroll through. Did that one person we wanted to like it like it? Or it's Friday, it's been kind of a hard week, but it's Friday again, I got my paycheck, I'm gonna go buy that new shiny thing. That'll make me feel better. Oh man, Sunday's coming up, I gotta preach. Let's get a new shirt, that'll do it. And so my question is, if happiness isn't found there, where is it found? Where's happiness or joy found? And remember, Jesus, while this wasn't his goal, to say here's where happiness is or isn't found. Remember, his goal is to say, this is what God is like. And here he seems to be saying, maybe God's not what you expect. Maybe you have it backwards. Maybe God is on the side of those who are poor, not rich. And we come to church, we ask our friends, okay, well, that's good and all, Jesus, but how do we get happy? How do I get happiness? Well, we read one more verse in it. It's almost like Jesus can like anticipate this question within us, and he says this. He says, but to you who are listening, oh, okay, Jesus, we're listening, we're listening. I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. And different word for bless. This one means praise. Praise those who curse you. Like, what? If that first section wasn't backwards, like, what is this? Jesus is saying, if you're listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you. What? Man, I thought we were talking about happiness, first of all. But let's keep looking. And I think if we look at this passage, it will help us add some clarity. to: Is there a connection between happiness and joy and love? So I want to look at John 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. This is the second passage we're going to look at. And it's this unique window where Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's after he's washed their feet. They've had a meal together. They've had supper together. But it's before Jesus gets arrested. And it's here where Jesus is kind of summarizing, encouraging his disciples of all this time that they've spent together. And he sets up this mental picture for his disciples. And he says, here's a metaphor about a vine and branches. It's a metaphor all about love and relationships. And so in chapter 15, verse nine, here's what Jesus says. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And so it's only a couple verses in, verse 11. We we see why Jesus is saying this. He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy would be complete. Okay, So, so Jesus is telling his disciples, I want you to experience complete joy. And I think he would say that to us today, but how does that happen? Well, you need to have my joy in you. Okay, well, how does that happen? Again, he says this. He says, just as the father loves me, I love you. Remain in my love. And if you want to remain in my love, you do that by keeping my commands. Okay, it's getting a little wordy. Jesus wants us to experience complete joy. We do that by experiencing his joy. And we experience his joy by keeping his commands and we keep his commands because we remain in his love. Okay, so what are these commands? Well, in Luke 6, we just got done reading where Jesus is inviting and commanding, love your enemies. Whoa, And now here we read that he's commanding his disciples to love one another. And if you do that, that's how you will receive my joy and your joy will be made complete. And so it would seem that joy and happiness can't be separated from love. Both God's love for us and our love for one another. Let's look at one more passage to add some clarity. And this is the question I wanna ask. What exactly is Jesus' joy? That his joy would be in us and our joy would be made complete. Okay, but what is Jesus' joy? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. What is that joy? Is it the joy of seeing his Father again? Is it the joy of leaving this earth and being in paradise without sin and suffering? Is it the joy of resurrection life? All things that I'm I'm sure were on Jesus' mind as he was headed towards the cross. But the, the key of the kingdom, the heart of the gospel, is how relational our God is. And so he left the Father to be with us. He left paradise to be with us. Us, we, are his joy more precisely, you are Jesus' joy. You are the reason he could endure the cross and could disregard its shame. Have you ever faced something hard? And by hard, I mean terrible. Have you ever faced something terrible, but you knew you had to do it? And in the midst of this terrible, hard, almost suffering moment or time, did you picture someone you loved and did that help you get through it? The God of the universe did. Jesus walked straight up the hill, carrying the cross, and he pictured you. In the face of being mocked, in the face of being betrayed, being rejected, ate torture and death. Like, Don't just hear a person on a stage saying that. Jesus Pictured you, His mental image was you and that brought him joy enough to endure the cross and disregarded shame. You are God's joy. And, and he invites us and asks us to surrender to that. Be overwhelmed by my desire and care for you. Remain in my love. He says to his disciples and to all of us who follow him today, remain in my love. But he also issues a command, which is to love one another. So our happiness is directly related to God and others. In your notes page, happiness is found in relationship with God and relationship with others. Specifically, happiness is found in remaining in God's love and loving others. And right beneath that, that requires two things: That requires surrender, and that requires action. He asks us to surrender our own control and then take action. He calls us to take up our own crosses and to walk a road of suffering. And that that would be where we find his joy and then our joy would be complete. Man, that's backwards. Like, are you starting to see what Jesus is saying? The road to happiness is synonymous. It's the same thing as the road to suffering. Join me, he says. It's backwards. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, here's the irony. The less you're concerned about your own happiness and the more concerned you are about God, the happier you get. To which I would add, as we're concerned about God, what does he do? In Jesus' own words, as we remain in his love, he then asks us to be more concerned about others. God created us not just for love but also for happiness and not just for happiness but also for love. The two are connected. That's who our God is. That's who we are. Yes, surrender is the start. But don't miss that surrender is not just about yourself. God's also inviting you to surrender your own ideas about happiness, to adopt his, and they're hard. They're not easy but that in that you would experience his joy and our joy would be made complete. Putting others first out of love, even in the midst of suffering, is where our happiness would be made complete or perfect. That's so backwards. It's backwards, but because it's backwards, I think it's beautiful. It's this idea, these two words summarize it the best for me. It's a co-suffering love. Jesus did not just come for you or me or us. He came for us and with us. Remain in that. And now he invites us to be a part and embrace this co-suffering love. And he says, be a part of suffering with me for others. Friends, I hope we get this. I really do. And, And as we consider this, it kind of brings us to this point. What does this look like? And while I can't answer for you, I can share a, a story of what I think this has looked like for me recently. If, I, if, I, if you were to ask me, what's, what's a moment of true joy or, or extreme happiness that you've had in the last month, maybe two months, here it is. I told you I'd kind of tell you about my middle school camp experience, right? Here we go. We started out um, in cars, middle school, or guy car, girl car. And we're like carpooling up to the camp, just us leaders. We're like jamming to music. I'm listening to Imagine Dragons' new album because it's great. We're passing the iPhone and we're getting to camp because when we get there, we have to turn in our phones just like the campers. So we're making the most of it. We meet the staff and they're great, great team of people. We do some team building activities and we hear the expectations, kind of the requirements of what it's, our job is going to be as counselors, you need to be with them 24-7. Like You need to make sure they don't die. Sunscreen, eating, sleeping, pooping, like all of it. This is a lot. I'm 24. I was like a dad, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. And then we sleep in this tent. So I'm sleeping in this really thick canvas tent, and it's, it's awesome. And I invite these two high school counselors from Oklahoma to like join me because no one wants to be in a tent alone, right? And it's like one in the morning, and the students come tomorrow, And this storm comes out of nowhere. And they tell you it storms, like bring a rain jacket, but this is crazy. Like not just the flapping, like I'm like, oh, it's going to fall down. And I'm like, I invited these two high school guys to be with me. Like I need to save our lives if something happens. So it's like two o'clock in the morning and I'm like, okay, I got to be ready to wake them up. We'll get out. We'll make it. We'll be okay. So I'm staying up. And then all of this like stuff that I kind of carried to camp just hits me. I'm like, thinking about prepping for this sermon. I'm thinking about my sister getting married in like a couple weeks, and I get to officiate the wedding. But I want to do that well. And there's another sermon somewhere in there. And then school starts, and student ministry starts, and seminary. Like, there's a lot, right? Like, there's always more work to be done. And so I'm stressed, and I'm like, oh, "How do I? Is there a way I can get out of this? Like, we got to do this again for high school next week. I'm like, I don't think I can get out of this. Okay. So I sleep. I try to sleep. The next day, the students come. You saw the picture of my 10 dudes, it was awesome. We're playing like archery tag, they're literally shooting bows and arrows at me. There's like marshmallows at the end, but still, it's crazy. <laughs> a couple of days in, we're in the main room, this like auditorium gym thing, and we're at this like chapel session. So there's a speaker, but before there's a speaker, what we sing, we do worship together. And all the students are flooded to the front because it's like crazy and they're loving it. And I'm in the back kind of watching them and I'm watching a couple of my guys And I just started to get emotional and I'm like, oh no. And I remember connecting some dots. There were students when I was a teacher, student teaching, who are at our middle school ministry now and now they're at camp and I started thinking about some, some visions and dreams that Carling and I have had for students and it's, and we want them to experience freedom and transformation. And I start to get worked up because I'm like, I don't want these students to experience the crap that's in their lives. I don't want them. I, I don't want that for them. And it's only like two days in, so I gotta like shut this down because my guys can't see me cry yet. You think I'm kidding, but I'm kind of serious. And so I kind of like, Phew. then it comes up again, kind of bubbles up. And I'm like, okay, Lord, like, do you want me to experience this? I was like, okay. I go to the bathroom, shut the stall. I start crying, like weeping, like gr- Ugly booger cries. And in that moment, one of the best words I could probably find is broken. Like I felt broken, but I was so happy. Here I am 24, sitting in a bathroom stall, crying, literally thanking God that I could be with these students and wanting freedom for these students. It was so backwards. And I'm not saying that that week was like suffering, but it was hard. It was hard. And I'd do it again. And I would do high school again and I made it just in time for my one-year anniversary with my beautiful wife, and I'd do it again. So as we come to a close, I want to ask the same question I did at the very beginning of our time, which is if God came in, he said, I want you to be happy for the rest of your life. What are you going to do? What will you do? Because what you do, what I do, what we do matters, Let me pray for us. God, again, thank you so much for this time, for this space where we can come together. We can be a community of people who are different, who have different incomes, who have different lifestyles, who have different thoughts, all of that, and we can come here and we can worship you. Jesus, thank you so much that you are clear about who God is as we try to understand that. God, I ask as as you continue to reveal who you really are to us, and we would also be asking the question, okay, what what do you want me to do next, God? And would you start to whisper, God, would you find ways to confirm what you're saying to myself and everybody here? God, thank you that relationship with you is not just about us, but it's about other people, and that you invite us into that out of love. And that's where we find happiness. I lift up our church, this community to you. We're willing. We love you. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information, Or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.